Hey everyone, Matt General here with 420 Ministries. I'm super excited for you to listen to this past Thursday night's teaching as we are in week four of a 12-week series that we're doing on learning what it means to minister to Jesus and live out the gospel every day. I feel like the past couple of Thursday nights that we've had coming together, we've just had incredibly sweet times in the presence of the Lord of where I genuinely feel like uh, the person of the Holy Spirit is teaching us and discipling us in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, learning what it means to minister to the heart of the Lord, learning what it means to love Him well. So I hope that as you listen to this message, a couple of things happen to you, that I hope that you are inspired and filled with new life from the Lord Himself. I hope that you are convicted from the Word of God and drawn further into the revelation of righteousness that you carry as a new creation. And if for some reason uh, you are listening to this and you are not born again, I hope that you are drawn into the the sweetness and richness of everything that Jesus is and all that he has for you. Love you guys. Bless you. Praying for you this week. Um, it was on my heart to share, uh, before we get into this message, just these two testimonies. Um, one of the privileges and one of the things that I, I feel like I'm just spoiled to get to see um, because when 420 first started, it was essentially a, a nonprofit missions organization that existed to um, establish and equip the church both locally and abroad. Um, and I'll never forget, this testimony has stuck with me for almost a decade now. And uh, one of the first trips we ever went on, it was to Raipur, India, and we were meeting a guy named Sumit Rati. Sumit Rati is... A young man, I think now Sumit's probably in his early 30s. He's a young guy, but at the time, um, he had just recently turned 30, and he was this young pastor over about 50 house churches in the region of Raipur. Um, and, and now, it's literally over 500, um, over 500 house churches. It's actually like leaking over and carrying out into Nepal. It's really one, one day, honestly, I've, I've, uh, one day we will get to take a group over there. That, that's like my number one location that I want to take a, a team from, 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 from the community here over there. It's, it's my favorite, favorite location to go to. It's, it's amazing. And Sumit was not always saved. He was a practicing Hindu for, for many, like his teenage years into his early 20s. Um, but his mom and dad got saved um, decently early on in their lives. And what I love about this is, uh, and, and Sumit's father doesn't speak any English. I have this in an interview on my phone. Um, and we're interviewing his dad, just trying to capture all this stuff. And we said, dude, how, so how did you get saved in, 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 a, in a severely Hindu um, region? There's not a whole lot of churches around. Like, how, how, do you, how do you just come to Jesus? And his dad said, um, well, I was at a point in my life of where I knew that there had to be more than the life that I was living. I was a devout Hindu. I went into my room and I didn't pray to any of the Hindu gods that I was praying to. I didn't, I didn't pray any, any name specifically. I just used the name God. I just said God. I didn't say Jesus. I didn't say Lord. I didn't say anything. I just said, God, if you're real, I need you to reveal yourself to me and I'm asking you to save me. God, if you're real and if you're out there, reveal yourself to me and save me. And it, it, this is one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. And he said, in that moment, 
A light filled his room, true, true story. I can, if you want, I can, I can find it to you and airdrop it to you at the end of tonight. I'm pretty sure I know right where it is in my, in my um, uh, photo library. And he said, a light filled his room and the Lord walked into the room. And, and this, this was not, and not just like, this is not his imagination. This is, this is in the natural, this is in the natural realm. Like this, it, this is, this is in the tangible realm. And he said, the Lord walked into the room and he said, I'm the God that you have been looking for. Give your life to me and I, and, and, and I will save you. I'm the God you have been looking for. Give your life to me. And he said, and at that moment, I gave my life over to the Lord and I, and I never looked back. And he said, and there was this time of where he was pastoring a church really early on. Um, honestly, in a room, probably about the same size as this, but imagine a massive concrete, just concrete facility, like nothing fancy to it, just a, a, a concrete facility. He said they were in service one day. Um, and, and he said at that point, he fully gave his life over to Jesus and just dove into the deep end. Just really everything, everything that he had, he just, he, he went all in. And he said there was a time they were in a, in a service and radical Hindus came into the service and beat and beat everyone that was in the service. Just, just, uh, yeah, just, just beat everyone that was in the service. Um, the service obviously broke up and people were just scared for their lives as, as, any, as anyone would be. And he said, just people from the church left. And, and he's like, and it wasn't a very big church to begin with. People from the church just left. And he's like, and I was scared for my life. I was scared for my family. These Hindus said that if we continued to meet together, they were gonna come and they were gonna kill us and they would kill our families. And he's like, Jesus, what do I do? What do you, what do you want me to do? How, how do I handle this? And Sumit's father, and I'm really, and it's, it's frustrating me that I'm blanking on his name right now, but Sumit's father said that the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to come to this building every day and have church, minister to me by yourself, minister to my heart. Just, and, and I want you to have church by yourself. And for a year, his dad in an empty concrete building would come in and love on Jesus by himself. And when I say they're poor, they are, they are poor. There's no way to market. There's no way to do media. There's no way to do invitation. There's no way to tell people to come back. Like there's, there's no, hey, like it's safe now. I've been here for a month by myself. They haven't come back. Everything's good now. He's got no way to communicate. And he said, it was at that time, after a year of doing this consistently, he said, not missing a day, being with the Lord, ministering to the Lord, people just began to come back. It started as one person, another person. He's like, and people would just, would just come in and we would, we would love on the Lord together to the point of where that meeting got so large, they had to break out into another meeting, that meeting into another meeting, that meeting into another meeting. And it started this house church movement that they have of just breakouts of people just loving on Jesus together. Loving the Lord, loving Jesus, it, it became contagious in, in their community because one of the one, number one things I learned from them was Jesus and the reward of existing just for him and only for him was more than enough to them, more than enough to them. That's one of my, one of my favorite testimonies. Another one is by a, a good, good friend of mine. His name is Jimmy Alexander. Um, I had the privilege of um, discipling Jimmy Alexander when he came into Teen Challenge, which it's so funny. Like, 
There's these guys that would sometimes come in to, and, and, and Matt Thomas is one of them. Matt Thomas isn't, he isn't here tonight. He's, he's actually studying for, um, you could be praying for him. He's hoping to get a new promotion in his job. Uh, Matt normally um, comes up here and sits up here. If you think about him, just be praying for Matt, studying for this new promotion that he's trying to get. Um, but there would, there's sometimes guys that would come into the program and you're discipling them. And then it gets to a point of where all of a sudden they are discipling you. And it's like, and it just, and it totally, like it just totally changes. And it's just like, wait, I thought like, I thought this was supposed to be the other way around. And it's just like, they become so possessed with Jesus that their very life begins to testify to you. Jimmy was one of those guys. Um, and he's faithfully serving the Lord today. Um, He's married to a beautiful woman, beautiful family, like just an amazing couple. They're amazing. But Jimmy came into the program, was a, um, was a severe heroin addict um, and amidst a bunch of other drugs thrown into the mix of these things that he was doing. And it's so funny. He was born and raised from the town that's like 30 minutes over from where my wife like was born and raised and grew up. And and I was only ever like 30 minutes away from this guy as Brandy and I were dating and getting to know each other. And it's just, it's just funny. But Jimmy comes into the program, has a series of radical encounters with the Lord, and his whole life gets completely turned upside down. Just, I mean, he, he becomes possessed with the gospel. But one of my favorite testimonies from Jimmy was that... Um, by the way, I have a dream one day that I'll get to teach a sermon that's literally only testimonies because I just, I think that testimonies just, they testify in and of themselves the goodness of God and they, they, they just, they have the capacity to invite you into something that's so powerful. Um, but for tonight, I'll only share these two. Um, but Jimmy told me this story of, he said, there was this time of when I got to rock bottom in my drug addiction and it got to the point of where it was, it was so insane. It was so gnarly. Like it, it was, it was as bad as it could get. And he's like, my body was deteriorating. I was, I was suicidal. I wanted to take my own life. And he said, and at that moment I had come from a Christian family, having left that family, I'm wondering what, what a life with God could possibly look like. And he's like, and in this night uh, that I was, I was, I was getting high. He's like, I was doing all these different things the audible voice of God came into the moment and said to me the same exact thing that it said to Adam in the book of Genesis. And I heard this voice say, Jimmy, where are you? Jimmy, where are you? And he's like, it shook me to my core to the fact that it literally, the voice disturbed me. Like I, I, I couldn't go back to what I was doing. The voice interrupted the activity that I was engaging in and it literally disturbed me. The voice took over my whole being. And he said, when I heard that, I had no idea what the Lord was talking about. And he's like, and at that point, I wasn't sure if it was the drugs. I wasn't sure if I was hallucinating. He's like, many people to this day have tried to tell me, dude, it's because you were high out of your mind, like you were hallucinating. He's like, I don't really care what I was doing. All I know is that when the voice came in, I didn't want to be getting high anymore. I didn't want to be using drugs anymore. I wanted to follow whatever the heck this voice was. He's like, so call it a hallucination. Call it my imagination. He's like, the voice broke through to me. I don't care what it was. Um, but he's like, all I know is that I didn't hear it in, in here. I, I heard it in the way that I would hear anyone else speaking. And what is so amazing to me about these two testimonies is the radical way that Jesus continues to pursue us. 
and that like in, in, in any good marriage, in any good relationship, in any good, in any good friendship, in, in any relationship for that matter, there's, it, is, it is a husband's job to give his wife a pursuit to respond to. It's, it's, a, it's a husband's job to give the wife something to reciprocate. In a friendship, it is as a good friend, it is your job to not just expect something to happen and be created out of thin air, but to sow what it is that you want to see into the fabric of someone else's life. In, in any, um, yeah, just in any relationship, there's a pursuit and a response. And then at different times that is reciprocated. And when I think about these testimonies, I think about the fact of the Lord coming after these two guys and pursuing them when they legitimately had nothing, nothing to offer. They had nothing to give the Lord in return. He was simply just, he was simply just pursuing them. I want to read this in the way that I wrote this down. Are you all with me still so far? Cool. Um, I want to read this. Like I said, I didn't have my journal with me, and I want to read this in the way that it came out because I felt like the way that this was written was, um, was the way that like, it, was, it was captured in the moment. <clears throat> living a life and not wanting to grieve the Holy Spirit is not living a life bound up to the law. A life of, it's not a life of hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. A life of not grieving the Holy Spirit is found in a continuous yielding to the indwelling presence of Jesus himself and employing him through our weaknesses and our humanity and not sidelining him or benching him out of our vain desires and vain pursuits to be holy or righteous or well put together in our own strength. Your good behavior streak does nothing other than tickle the vanity of your soul. A life lived in quiet dependence upon the whole Trinity is a life rooted in the fear of the Lord. Oftentimes, as soon as we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit or something that sounds like a cause and effect type of behavior, don't do this and this won't happen, we immediately go into works. This is a very blasphemy against the gospel and against the work that has been finished for you. And oftentimes, I, what, I, what I don't want to do is stand up here and talk about, I'll, I'll be the first person to say it, that we, we and, I, and I use we because we are a part of it. We are not going to stand here and point from the outside in, pointing at what's, what's not happening and what's not being done right. Like, and anytime you address the church and what she is or is not doing, you also address yourself. So we need to guard our hearts and watch the way that regard the human beings that the Lord has entrusted with influence and territory. So I'm not going to stand up here because, and, and point out what's not being done right because we can all point to different ways that we have just missed it. We've missed him. We've moved on when we should have waited. We've disregarded and laughed at it when we should have bowed to it and kneeled to it and cherished it. We've maybe judged someone else's expression simply maybe because they were just a little bit more in love than we were. Maybe they just didn't care as much as we did. Maybe they were less self-conscious than we were. And I think the only type of thing that blasphemes the Holy Spirit and that removes ourselves from the fear of the Lord is love that is not given to him, love that is withheld from him. 
And I'm not simply talking about a life lived in obedience because all that obedience is, all that obedience is, is a heart that is in love with Jesus manifesting. That's all that obedience is. Obedience is not even obeying black and white. Obedience is not even obeying black and white. Anyone that is, there are people that are not saved. They're not Christians. They do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They would not call themselves a Christ follower, but yet they've dedicated their lives to studying a book for the sake of text, theory, and, 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 and science. And, and they know this better than some Christians know this, but they are still very, very lost and they still don't know him and they can read it and see it as, oh, do this, don't do that. Like, oh, okay, like I can, I can carry out those things. But without the life and law of the spirit within them, it's lifeless and it's just, it's just words on a page. But until we become personal and sensitive and intimate with him, this, this will only ever be words on a page rather than a love letter given to our hearts. And it's also the only book that ever demands that the author be present when one reads it. I don't just want to read it just to read it. I want to read it to encounter the living person within the pages. And oftentimes, I think it's easy for us to grieve the Holy Spirit, not, not because it's like we're, we're, we're going out of our way to grieve him, but I simply think it's because we do not know how badly he wants us. And because we don't know how badly he wants us, we don't fully give ourselves over to him. Does that make, does that make sense when I say that? And I think that because we don't fully give ourselves over to him, and I'm just realizing, I'm not gonna get to all of these scriptures that I have. So if it's okay with you guys, I'm just going to continue to unpack this thought and then we'll go from there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to what I have written, written down here. And I really, I want to honor and respect you guys this time. So if it's okay, I'm just, I'm going to continue to unpack this. And because we don't know how badly the Lord wants us and we don't give ourselves over to him, just plain and simple, I, I believe that that is what grieves the heart of the Lord. And when the, when the heart of the Lord is grieved and we are not sensitive to that, I think that that is one of the worst places of darkness that we could get in. But the answer to this, we talked about it last week. We had, we had a really powerful time in the Lord last week. There was something holy that happened in that moment. I think when we choose to live lives of uncompromising, unceasing attention to the person of Jesus Christ, we, we will keep our hearts soft to him. And I can't tell you how many times there has, there has been, I'll be honest, and, and, and this is me talking out of a process. I, I uh, feel free to dis disregard or disagree. I don't think what, personally, I don't believe what grieves the Lord's heart is, okay, you've got a charismatic church over here and you've got a non-charismatic church over here and the charismatics are going, like just doing amazing things and loving the Lord and then you've got a group of, my wife would laugh at this statement, you've got a group of frozen chosen over here that like if they raise their hand, well, we're getting crazy and, the, and, these, people, and these people are grieving the Lord. I don't actually think that that grieves the Lord because I think that our love for Jesus first and foremost begins with a heart posture. 
And it begins with a, the way that we truly live from the inside out, not externals. The kingdom of God is within you and the degree with which we yield to the internal kingdom will depend on the degree that that interior kingdom manifests externally around us and transforms the world around us. But when we become too focused on the externals, I think that this grieves the Father's heart rather than genuine and deliberate and intentional heart connection in, in the secret place with the Lord. Because ministry to the Lord satisfies, it, 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 it loves the Lord rightly. It satisfies his jealousy. It gives him the love that he deserves. And, it, and we fulfill our created destiny when we minister to him. So I don't believe that it's different denominations and different expressions of worship that grieve the Father's heart. I simply just think it's love that withholds itself from him because ultimately at the end of the day, and if you're a man in the room, this is a little bit harder for you to digest, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. And quite frankly, I just don't care. We, we, you are a bride that has been called to marry him. You are a bride that has been called to marry him. And how weird would it be if a person that you're married to, a person that you're friends with, a family member, if you are wanting to love them and all they ever do is resist your love, at some point, you'd be like, what the heck, man? All I'm trying to do is love you well. Like all, all I'm trying to do is get us to experience this friendship, this marriage, this brotherhood, this sisterhood. And I think that subtly, I don't, and I don't always think that we intend to, I know that one of the number one things I am guilty of is worshiping God's things rather than the Lord himself. Or even worse, I fall in love with the Lord's work and the work of the Lord rather than the Lord of the work. And that's a very dangerous place to be in because again, externally, you can be praised and admonished and admired and, and all of these different things of, of, wow, look at how much that person loves Jesus, but their heart is barren and cold, and they will be one of the individuals that stands before the Lord at the end of their life, and he says, and he says I never knew you. And I think that the way that we keep that from truly not being the case, and I'm not just saying this because she walked up here, is the importance of remaining childlike, remaining remaining small in his sight of recognizing I'm not going to pretend to be something when the one that is everything became nothing for me. There's this old Puritan prayer that says, how could I pretend, how could I pretend to be something when you became nothing? Actually, I don't think that was, that's a, I think Heidi Baker said that. That's not a Puritan prayer. There's, I think she said that. Either way, the, the quote still rings true just as ever. I do want to read one of these verses really quick. This is out of all the ones that I have. I have this one written down. Go with me to Acts chapter 7. A lot of the verses that I had were leading up uh, to the last three that I had, but let's, let's at least, let's hit this one in the next uh, two minutes. 
I don't really have a whole lot of time to give the context to this, but this is essentially uh, Stephen addressing a Jewish council. He's literally on trial for his life for the testimony of Jesus that he's living out. He's, he's literally testifying himself into his own death and he doesn't even care because he knows that his inheritance is Jesus. Acts 7, verse uh, 51. Actually, let's do uh, verse 44. Verse 44. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God show, had shown to Moses. If you, if you remember, when we started this series, week one, we literally broke down the difference between the, uh, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and then you as the living and breathing new covenant Christ followers, and that you now house God. You are now individual, living, living and breathing arcs of the covenant. Like this is, that's, that's your, that, that is who you are now. So in, the, in, in week one, we actually talked about this. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown Moses. Verse 45, years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory and it stayed there until the time of King David. Verse 46, I'm just gonna keep going, y'all, and we'll, we'll just read through it. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built it. This was the nickname that we, that we, that we went over. It was, called, it was known as the first temple. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Thankfully, we are not individuals made by human hands. We are individuals made by the only hands, God himself. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asks the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Did my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people. You are heathens at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's laws, even though you received it from the hands of angels." The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, almost done here, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of the young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't, cha don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. The reason why I wanted to close out in reading that tonight is because... And if you want to go back and listen to this, you can look these up in your own. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. 
John chapter 11, 33 through 44. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Luke chapter 7, 29 through 35. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. And Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 44. These are all passages of scripture where we see the humanity, the humanity of Jesus leaking out. Whether he's grieving, whether he's weeping, whether he's rejoicing, or whether he's actually moved to anger. The, the New Living Translation would say anger, but if you have the New American Standard, it would, it, would say, it would say deeply moved, deeply grieved. So it's not like anger, like, like the Son of Man is, is ticked. <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's deeply moved with a zeal and reverence for the situation and matter at hand. All of those are verses that point to the humanity of God shining forth in some way of where he shows himself to us as relatable. And he's showing us that he has feelings and emotions that can be affected by the attention and affection of the people created and made in his image. And so what I really think was amazing about tonight, if you want, you can stand to your feet with me, please. What I think was amazing about tonight was... One, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at every single time that we gather and come together, the Lord always has fresh bread for us and he feeds us with himself. The word is not dependent on the pulpit. The word is not dependent on any one of the musicians leading on, on one of the given nights. He himself is substance and source. And when we minister to him, we employ him to be that very thing unto us. Not, not, not because, not because we, we, we only want him to be, not only because we need him to be, but because he wants to be. He's, he's very aware of our frailties. He's very aware of our humanity. He's very aware of our inability to have confidence only in ourselves. And, and, and he's very aware of, his, of, of our need, even in ways that we don't know it, of him needing to step into our lives and save us. And honestly, praise God for that. Because I don't know about you, I know what my life would look like and I know where I would be had the Lord not had mercy on me and if he would not continue to have mercy on me on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment basis. And if that sounds like an exaggeration, you just don't know how much of a mess I am. <laughs> So I'm being serious on that. So as, as we're leaving here tonight, what I don't want you to hear is you don't become a Christian to just then recreate the law of good behavior through works and then say, I'm satisfying Jesus. Don't you realize that in doing so, you've put yourself in the same boat that the Galatians are in of where they began in the spirit and they started yielding to the flesh as if their efforts and their works could save them. If we yield to that type of way, I believe any time we turn away from the gospel, it, it grieves the Lord's heart because what we're essentially say, saying is I trust more in my ability to be savior and source unto myself rather than the one that conquered it all for me. And the best thing that we can do when we leave here, the best thing that you can do when you go to whatever other church it is that you go to on a Sunday morning, the best thing that you can do when you go home tonight to your family, to your roommates, to your husband, to your wife, to your friends, to your coworkers, 
is, is, is simply yield out of the love that Jesus has for you and live out of that, out of a place of overflow by continuously giving your heart to him, knowing that this satisfies him. And this is why we minister to him, to exchange love with him, because that is what he is after. Just plain and simple. Is this all making sense tonight? Going down? Okay. (laughs) All right, bow your heads in prayer with me. Jesus, we're honored that you never have to come into a room. You never have to come into a room. You never have to come, but you always do. You show up in splendor and you do in fact change the whole room. You change us. Lord, I don't entirely know the full depth and weight of what all of these things mean. I'm learning and I'm I'm growing in them and discovering them. But if there's one thing I know, it's the incredible degree with how vulnerable you make your heart and how vulnerable you make yourself. The fact that you would give us the capacity to affect you and touch you and affect the emotions that you have. The fact that you invite us in our doubt and unbelief in our, yeah, I don't really know about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working in that. That's actually where you say, here, come place it here in my side, place it in my hands, place it in your feet. I will swallow your doubt and give you myself. Holy Spirit, we need to be discipled by you. We need to be. We are hopeless without it. We need to be discipled by you. I'm asking you, everyone that was here tonight, I pray that we would leave here with a healthy and holy reverence for your name and for your likeness. Please, in Jesus' name. And as we leave here, we would not withhold ourselves from you, playing hard to get with you. If we were the joy set before you and you endured the cross for us, then far be it from us to not give you what it is that you came after. Father, we love you. We honor your son. And by the presence of your Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves and and we go out with you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Guys, if you need prayer tonight or if you want prayer tonight, we would just encourage you as Clay already led, find a person next to you and and pray for them. If there's something specific that you want prayer for, I would just encourage you to come up here to the altar. Someone will come alongside of you and pray, but love you guys dearly and we will see you guys, uh, we'll see you guys next Thursday.